Welcome to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we meet with some of the world's best leaders and chat through where they got leadership right, but importantly, where they got it very wrong. Where they stuffed it up, got reprimanded, suspended, or even fired, and all the gory details that go with it. Each week, we'll meet with a new leader, hear their trials, tribulations, and what they have learned from their experiences. Leadership isn't always pretty, is it? But by being vulnerable and talking about our shortcomings, you can grow the empathy within your team and show your team that you're worthy of their trust. So buckle up and let's get ready to hear what it takes to be a braver leader. Welcome to the Braver Leaders podcast, where we meet with leaders and talk about where they've got leadership right, but also very, very wrong. And today I'm joined by Baz Deans of Schutzer UK. He's the VP of Schutzer UK, a good friend of mine. And we're going to talk about where he has messed up his leadership, got it very right and got it very, very wrong. Bazzy, welcome, mate. Hello, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Very excited about this. Yeah, mate. Uh, you're welcome. It's good to... Uh, Good to have a chin wag. I mean, you and I could talk the ears off several donkeys. Uh, we've done so, done so in the past. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thanks for thanks for making the time. I know you're a busy chap. Um, and thanks for sharing that ridiculous video with me uh, about going back into the office, but being like everyone thinking that we're still working on a video. Yeah, anyway, it was hilarious. I'll share it on my LinkedIn after this. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good loosener. <laughs> a great loosener, a great loosener. Nothing better than a good old belly laugh to start a podcast. Thanks for me. So how's your day been? How, how are you? How are you arriving? You know, I like an arrival question. Oh, I love a good chicken, Sam. You know how it is. You, you, you taught, taught it the best. So I think for me, arriving very fresh. Had my first swim of the season. I'm warming up for my triathlon later on in this year. So I needed to get back in the pool. So went for a long walk, talked to my parents in New Zealand. So I've had quite the morning before we've even got into it. So Are you, are you swimming? I assume you're not wild swimming. You're swimming in a pool. I wish I was wild swimming, Sam. I uh, I would prefer to wild swim all day, every day, and but I'm actually, uh, I guess, domestic swimming. Let's call it that. Hanging out in the pool, just <laughs> around the corner. Domestic swimming, as opposed to <laughs> being out in the wild. Exactly, domesticated cool. or wild. That's that's yeah. the feel for it. Love it, love it, and and uh, all's well down under. Uh, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it's a. Big moment for us. So we were obviously going through some some large conversations as a family because we've got a farm that's been in the family for a long time, and mm. it's time to think about succession, which you know takes takes a huge amount of work, and it's an incredibly mm. important part of your life. So mm. just making sure things are moving on nice and smoothly. Nice one, nice one. And you you obviously that was an option for you, I guess, but you moved away from that and and had a career. Uh, a very interesting career. You've you've led some big companies and and had some decent sized roles. Why don't you tell me a little bit of a little bit of the backstory? Where did you start? What did you do? How did you get where you got to? What a lovely segue. I think for me, to be honest, it started there on the farm. Uh, it's fascinating what you can learn from a farm, and I think people, when you're not in it and you haven't been on a farm or lived on a farm or been around people that farm. You probably don't really understand all the intricacies of management and all the intricacies of, of looking after you know huge amounts of different facets of, of business because uh, that's what a farm is. It's made up of a variable stock and lots of assets and 
an incredible amount of different personalities and stakeholders. So it's, I learned a lot from that process and, and my family are quite entrepreneurial. My brother is an exceptionally entrepreneurial person. And I actually, uh, I did a lot of things when I was very young around, you know, going down to the corner, selling off our hazelnuts that we had, that we grew on the farm or hilarious enough, you'd love this, but, and some people will cringe, but I sold uh, sheep manure to people for their gardens and I made a lot of money from it. So I had a very entrepreneurial start to my life. And, uh, Literally and that, made money selling shit. Exactly. And it was 100% profit. So who could get any better than that? Apart from time, of course, opportunity for costs of time. But that's where I learned all those things. So that's where it all began. But I can go on to my actual professional career because I haven't carried on selling shit. I hope. <laughs> but, uh, nice. Yeah. Tell me, tell me a bit about your career today. Yeah. So I guess, as I said, my brother was very entrepreneurial. <clears throat> He started one of some of the first digital agencies in New Zealand focused on website development. And that's where I started getting an understanding of the professional world, uh, getting an understanding of service models and then the transition from actual, you know, service models to tech enabled services to all the way through to full SaaS platforms. And, and Rupert, my brother, was a big part of that, that acceleration of my learning in that space. Uh, he helped me understand the machinations of, of, founders and starting a business and all the trials and tribulations that come with that of course you go through a huge amount of learning you burn out it's pretty tough but then my gosh do you do you learn a lot about yourself and the way you you know look after people and the way you look after clients in your community so I, I i got a lot from that and then you know after a couple of years of just supporting him in his growth journey uh with with aptly named quite hilarious name for a uh, agency it's for new zealand one fat sheep uh was the name of the, <laughs> um, there's a theme here so the theme um, oh wow and uh after that i'll try and wrap up a bit faster than that but i got into the world of agency i must admit that was just me cutting my teeth i i yeah, wasn't yeah. to be an agency i kind of knew that but it was a way to uh, really get thrown in, in amongst the patients really it's quite an intense environment you you do grow and develop very quickly but you learn what you don't want to be doing uh, in the agency world in my opinion and I learned that very quickly um, and that was a big part of my my own career progression um, so summarize after that went to big corporate went to Vodafone so went to the oh, other okay. end of the spectrum went to the mm -hmm. other side as they say and uh, worked in digital operations there and social media, the development of the social media strategies and, and execution, um, which is which is obviously a fascinating time to be in, as we all know right now, what social media means to many of us. Mm. I was quite early on in that in that place of, of commercialization of media, social media. So that was that was fun, but not necessarily where I wanted to be either. So I kept on learning, I kept on understanding what I didn't want to be doing, to be honest. I spent mm. my life trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And then um, eventually I found, I guess, a bit more of a place, which is in, you know, tech-enabled service or software as a service um, technology businesses. And I'm, I'm now at Shootster, and I think that was, um, <clears throat> I finally figured out that's sort of my niche. It's in mm. that startup to scale up, mm. old business, really fast moving, lots of tech development, but also more importantly, just hopefully, hopefully making a decent difference to our clients. That's, that's mm. actually the end of the day, the parts they care about whilst looking after a team. Mm. Nice one. Yeah. I, I know that looking after a team and leading people is a big thing for you, right? Like your, your, uh, I don't know whether you did that in all your other roles or, or did you? 
Yeah, great question. I actually <clears throat> started managing people very early on in my life. So, um, or in my career, I should say. Funny enough, in my life too. And on a farm, I was managing a few here and there. But um, a few like, sheep, a few couple of couple of thousand sheep, Sam. <laughs> they are hard to wrangle sometimes. I can tell you that. Sometimes are easy to Some interesting stakeholders there. <laughs> <laughs> couple of sheep, couple of dogs, and a couple of tractors. Um, but. No, in, in the professional era, uh, I started managing people when I was 23 and yeah. I've um, managed people ever since really in, in many different shapes and forms, um, different teams, different dynamics, different businesses and sizes. Um, so, and that was, you know, very early stage, very transactional, I guess, management, I guess you could call it. I learned a lot about what you shouldn't be doing in management, um, but I also wasn't there as, you know, I wasn't there to manage people professionally in terms of their progression. I was there more managing workflows and, and mm. more, you know, the delivery of, of digital assets as opposed to their progression paths, et cetera. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you, you mentioned a couple of times you were sort of figuring out what you didn't want to do. Um, what, what is it that you didn't want to do? Yeah, good question. It took me a long time, I must admit, and I'll, I'll get back to that no doubt later on when we talk a few um, thoughts around what I, what mistakes I made and what I learned. But what I didn't want to be doing was <clears throat> that transactional management stuff. I, I wasn't there just to, to optimise people and get the most out of them and, and actually have no personal connection or, or be able to support them in, on their own development pathways. Um, that is what gets me going. So I learned very quickly that's not where I wanted, uh, that's where I didn't want to be in terms of just purely transactional management with them. Um, and then I learned that I didn't want to be in a business, you know, similar to a lot of, um, not all, of course, there's plenty of great agencies out there, but some agencies that don't really value people's uh, time and I guess uh, don't necessarily value uh, off the back of that, a balanced lifestyle and you know, mm. don't have really a, a clearly defined purpose. I didn't want to be in a business that, to be honest, just felt like it was making high margins and not really interested in, in developing and managing people that well and, and was there just purely to, to get as much out of a client as possible. So, so that's what I did learn. I didn't want to be into that space. I wanted to be in a space that had a clear purpose and, and, a, and a place where I wanted to be you know, very clearly defined. That's so interesting, hey, because... Business is really, I reckon it's probably the last maybe 10, 15 years that businesses have started to sort of think more and more about what's our purpose? Why do we exist, right? Like, I don't know if you would have heard that uh, maybe before sort of 2005. I could be wrong, I might be showing my age here. Um, but, you know, really now, especially um, employees, uh, they don't want to be there if there's not a, 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 you know, what am I working towards? Like millennials, uh, Gen Z especially are all going, I'll do this for you, but why? Mm. Right. Yeah, uh, do you, and and you, you manage a lot of, of that age group now. Um, mm. Are you seeing that more and more and more? Oh, absolutely. It's accelerated markedly, of course. I, I do believe COVID has accelerated that too. It was already heading on that path before COVID for certain. It's not, it's not a, it's not derived from it, but I think it's really clearly helped people to find what work means to them uh, mm. and what a good, well-balanced life looks like and the priorities in their life. 
uh, and recognizing that works crucial, but it's not the only thing. It's obviously not the thing that drives us innately. Um, it has to be aligned with, with what drives us innately. And so, you know, for me, I just to go back to that point earlier, <clears throat> I was still working it out for a long time. I didn't know that. That was one of my one of my learnings, one of the things I, I messed up the most in my career. I didn't really know what I was looking for. Therefore, I just had a great time for a while there and sort of, I guess, went with the flow of life and and worked it out. I didn't strategically think I'm going to tick off all these things that I don't want. I realized that 10 years later, that that's what I was been, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years, was trying to qualify things out as much as in, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah, totally does. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's not a process that ends, is it? That it's, you know, you'll look back in 10 years, I'd imagine and go, oh, I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> so no, no, I, I totally, I totally relate to that. And I think, uh, yeah, it's um, the pandemic, COVID, you know, the, you've heard the term, the great resignation, I'm sure, mm. thrown around. And I, I kind of not sure I believe in that. I think it's, I, I think it is, people are resigning from their jobs but it's because they're as you said going well actually I enjoy a balanced life and as you really well you articulated really well like I see now that I can have a balanced life and that there are employers out there that are going to give me that and if this one keeps saying to me no you can't have that then sorry I'm going to go right yeah. it's basically people are sticking a stake in the ground almost right they are I mean, it's fascinating because we work in that space. We work with HR and learning and development, mm. huge amount of that. Um, mm. It comes through what we do all day, every day. Mm. And I've learned, learned exceptional amounts in that space around, you know, just the, the dynamic shift of control in the candidate's hand as opposed to the employer's hand. Mm. Um, and that's fascinating because it's mm. driving a lot of the transformation of these businesses, in my opinion, because mm. at the end of the day, it's often been the case, and we all know this as, as leaders and managers, you sit there in the chair, you try and be objective, you try and be balanced, all that wonderful stuff. But three or four years ago, you knew that you had control of that process. Um, mm. You were the one that was sort of, in some respects, dictating terms. You were the one that was, you know, they were convincing you. And now a business is convincing them to come on board. A, a business is working very, very hard to convince a candidate that they are the right fit for them, which is driving the need to be far more articulate in their purpose and authentic in their purpose, not just making up an EVP, you know, employee value proposition, not just making up a, uh, an idea of what their purpose is and putting it on a, on a table or on a, on a wall, um, actually follow through with it because it emanates when you're interviewing people. Mm, and what an amazing shift. I just want to also, um, I'm quite amazed that it took you, I don't know how long we've been chatting, maybe 10, 15 minutes to use an acronym. Um, your BASDEANS basically is a walking acronym. There <laughs> um, uh, we go. But, but um, uh, yeah, what an amazing shift, hey? Like actually taking people from or, or shifting um, the, the onus onto the company to walk the talk essentially isn't it and it's because people could um essentially before just sell you the dream couldn't they and then not deliver but now people are sort of thinking well Ashley if you're not going to deliver I'm just going to go and people are less afraid there's like a, a reduction of fear around um you know what what's going to happen if I leave well it wouldn't be the end of the world I'd find something else and maybe I could even do my own thing you know Absolutely. And back to your point around, you know, 
working hard to legitimately convince people that you're the right business mm. is driving behavior around sustainability. It's driving behavior around, um, you know, environmental, social and governance goals, or also, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion goals. Uh, mm. It's legitimately driving the right behavior because at the end of the day, as I know, because I've hired a lot of people in the last 10 years, especially obviously in the last couple of years, you you only have this medium, uh, obviously on a video mostly, or sometimes, you know, you might call them, but most likely do a video. Mm. And therefore you don't have all the usual bells and whistles to convince or, or potentially attract talent. Therefore mm. you've got to do it through, through actual verbatim language around what your business means to you as a mm. manager or leader. Uh, you need to do that through emanating it through your people to bring into the interviews you don't have the ability to walk them through a hall or show them mm. what's happening within a business and make it look, you know, all, all shiny and, and amazing mm. and alluring. You've actually got to do it legitimately over, over this medium, which is fun. Mm. So it's killing the culture of, look, we've got a ping pong table. This is a great place to work. It's, it's making people actually follow through. What, what, a, what a great shift. Mm. Mm. Totally. Yeah, Okay, so let, let's let's uh, change gears a bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you've stuffed up because you know I'm I'm dying to know because I de- I actually don't know the answer to this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let, talk talk to me a little bit about. Um, I, I'm keen to know about what the break you received as well, the biggest break you received. But firstly, I want to know. Let's get into some dirty stuff. What's the biggest mistake you've made as a leader? Oh, as a leader, I think <clears throat> it's a theme that I had for the first seven or eight years of, of, of management, to be honest. And I'm going to use the word management as opposed to leadership in that case, I think. Um, because so often I would make a lot of promises, not because they were hollow, not because I didn't mean them. Uh, I, would, I would promise things to teams and individuals and I'd just be so busy. I'd have so much going on in my head and I'd have so many priorities to look after that I wouldn't necessarily always follow through with a lot of my promises or I'd start something and not find a way to make sure it's finished, whether that's with the right team or the right person. And that, to be honest, that is my greatest mistake as a manager, holistically. I can go into the specifics at some point soon, but in my opinion, that would always be one of my greatest mistakes as a manager or leader because you know, people, I hope, still respect me and, and enjoy my leadership and management because hopefully I, I relate to them well and, and I'm usually um, good at managing people across the board. However, little degradations of trust happen when you don't follow through with the promise. And I think um, purely because I was just too busy, sometimes I was dropping that. And that is, that is for me, the greatest mistake I made in the first seven or eight years. Okay, so a bit essentially being a bit of a yes man, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's a theme that you you know this well, Sam, because you and I work on it at a coaching level. But, you know, I am inherently a yes man. I'm not as much these days as I was, and that's thanks to, you know, your help and as many others in my circle. But, yeah, I have been a yes man, um, and that has certainly caused me challenges as a leader manager because um, at the end of the day, yeah, you can't follow through if you're continuously saying yes to everything. Okay, and how did that affect the people around you, do you think? Uh, many ways. I think for me, my direct reports across you know, a few years, um, especially you know, early stage in, in management and leadership, it would mean that they often wouldn't know what their priorities were because at the end of the day, I'm saying yes to a lot of things, therefore it's trickling down and I am therefore delegating a lot of work 
And do they know the priorities? Probably not because there's so much of it really. And things change a lot when you say yes a lot, right? You, you don't have really specific priorities. Therefore, you know, the, the, their environment changes a lot over you know, a couple of months or over a year or over a couple of weeks sometimes, depending on how busy it is. And so it's pretty obvious how to fix them. It just means that they, they end up not having as much focus um, because, of, because of that challenge. Uh, and then also, as I said, it can degrade a little bit of trust here and there uh, mm. to the point where they just think, oh, okay, there's another thing. There's another idea. There's another um, task to focus on. Is that going to change in a couple of weeks' time? Maybe. Mm. Therefore, they don't quite know whether the, what to filter out from you when it comes yeah. up. Okay, so like a real need there, it sounds like to, <coughs> excuse me, to have focus and, and make sure that that focus passes to your team. That's right. For sure. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's um, it also I I imagine uh, as you say it, it degrades trust a little bit, but it also um, gives the illusion that these ridiculous to do lists are actually possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I I'm becoming more and more a believer. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I've just read a good book called um, uh, Four Thousand Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Ah. Um, and um, yeah, the, the idea that our to-do lists are actually possible um, when they don't end is, is quite ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, um, especially as a young leader or a young manager, you're kind of, you want to impress, right? You want to be a person who shows the boss that you can smash it. But in reality, what is actually um, uh, prudent is to... Uh, stop, look at what the priorities are and focus on, on those and actually learn to say no politely. And, and uh, uh, one of my mentors says a delicious no, um, but say, it's a, it's a great way of putting it, right? It's like, no, I, I'm so, really sorry. I can't do that right now because I've got all of these. Do you want me to change the priority? I'm happy to, but, you know, uh, unless I change them, I, I'm going to, one of these is going to suffer, right? And this guy, um, Oliver Bertman, poses that you can only have three things in your kind of sphere at any one time. And in order to change one, one has to finish. Yeah. to bring another one and one has to go kind of thing nice. so and i think i think that ties nicely into that doesn't it so if you're if you're saying yes to everything your team are, are scattered you're scattered yeah um yeah okay wow and i think for, for me you know it's great that you brought up with Bertman in terms of priorities because in my personal opinion from doing a lot of work and research and in purpose driven business and that sort of things and mm -hmm. purpose -driven people your priorities come from your purpose generally um, mm. and if you're very clear what your business purpose is, but you're also personally very clear what your purpose is, then it's easier to make decisions on what your priorities are. And it's also easier to make decisions on what to cut and say mm. no to. Totally. I think, you know, for me, bumbling along for 10 years in management leadership, progressing well, to be honest, when I say bumbling, I, I've, I've developed very quickly in my career, but at the same time, I didn't have that clarity. And therefore, mm. I know that some of those troubles have come because I, I just don't know what to say to no to sometimes. Mm. Okay, okay. And so what's the, the thing you've done? What have you changed? What have you learned? Uh, yeah, so I have done a huge amount of learning. I, I mean, I, for me personally, I've done a lot of uh, research and work in that space. I've 
brought a lot of people of influence into my life just to help me define uh, what what my priorities and and get a little bit closer to understanding what my purpose is. Uh, I think for me, you know, as I said before, yourself, Sam, you've you've obviously coached me and, and done an amazing job on that front. But others, I've had many mentors. I've always had a mentor in life. It doesn't matter which stage I've been in for pretty much the last 20 years. I've had a mentor of some shape or form, if not two to three. And I lean on them a lot. I lean on them mm-hmm. to, to help as sounding boards. Uh, obviously, mentors sometimes help direct you a little bit occasionally, which is wonderful. Coaches, as you know, help guide you a little bit more. Um, and, and I think that's been a massive part for me. Uh, I do think the bigger shift came uh, when vulnerability came through. Uh, and I know that sounds a bit generic. I know we, you know, I love vulnerability, but they've got to put more, you know, words and uh, I guess fat around it. What it actually means is when I started to open up about the fact that that is a challenge I face in terms of being a yes man, about three and a half, three years ago, I actually remember the moment it happened to to really true clear, clear degree was one of the people I was managing, Jan, who's a wonderful guy, who's, um, who, who was my sales director here in the, in the region. He actually sat me down on a one-to-one and I had a great one-to-one with him. And then he, he turned around, I asked him for advice uh, on, on myself and my leadership. And he just said to me, Baz, you've got to stop you know, saying yes to everything and, and you've got to have real clarity around that uh, because it's, it's shifting on to us and it's putting a lot of pressure on us. And that was a big moment for me. Um, it was a very tangible example of the, the pressure I was putting on my team. And that, I remember that being a big, a big moment for me. Mm. Man, that, I, I was actually thinking about this this morning, about the, the depth of knowledge that the people around you hold. And regardless of your position in the company, uh, being able to call on, on that, um, and how I wish that I had done that earlier, really being able to say, what do you all think? Um, and actually extracting that knowledge and making sure as well that everybody gets their voice in the room. And that's a brilliant example of that, right? To, to actually, they see it so clearly what's going on with you when often you're standing in the trees and you can't see the woods, right? Um, and, and uh, yeah, man, so that's a, a brilliant um a brilliant tool really isn't it we've got at our disposal every day to just say what do you think yeah. and the fact that you do that pretty rarely i think don't you to sort of just go what's what do you think of my leadership what can i learn yeah i do i i i've actually it's funny i had a brilliant interview question the other day i, I that someone asked me yeah. um and because i always love this this scenario where i say to the interviewee you know, put yourself in my shoes. What would I ask you, you if you were mm. there right now? And um, and they said to me, "What's your what's your slogan in life?" And I was like, yeah, "Interesting, cool." Uh, and I answered it straight away. And I said, "You know, for me, live and die by feedback." Um, and it's quite a sort of dramatic statement, but it, it sort of sums <laughs> up sums me up quite nicely. It's it's you know, learn how to filter and learn how to take mm. and understand feedback. Um, you don't need to always take it on but you need to filter it and understand it and be objective about it. And mm-hmm. I've been obsessive about feedback ever since, you know, well, gosh, for a long time, but more so accelerated in the last three and a half years, some obviously off the back of some of the programs that you and I work on mm. and um, high-performing team programs. 
Uh, and for me, it's it's been a game changer in, in my own development. Um, at the end of the day, you must learn from people around you. 360 mm -hmm. reviews are amazing. If you can do more of them, do it. People listening out there, just do them all, all the time. It's incredible mm -hmm. what it can teach you. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, what else? What other giant stuff ups have you made? Anything yeah. that like, you know, really you kind of look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a, there is a decent list, but I think I was thinking about sort of really tangible, specific examples, which are, which are always nice. And it was more of a commercial business decision to us. A, a big mistake I made actually was not going full steam ahead into our um, go-to-market plan for Europe for Shootster. So mm. we had an opportunity to expand into Europe an amazing opportunity for me personally and obviously commercially as well it wasn't wasn't just because it suited me but i loved that that was the reason i was here and i we didn't do it with uh enough clarity and and we didn't build uh, a really tight enough plan around a specifically focused area of europe we initially started off at broad we tried lots of different things. We knew we had to be focused on one or two parts. Uh, that wasn't the case that, that we were trying to do everything for everyone. But I think um, we didn't have a true, true clear plan to go after. And um, therefore, it sort of bumbled along and didn't, didn't follow through fast enough. And therefore, you know, the opportunity um, didn't necessarily follow through. Okay, so a bit of a theme, focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So saying yes to too much, therefore having too much on your plate, and then when things aren't uh, because of the lack, that lack of focus, or maybe saying yes to too much, things become unfocused and, and plans don't go as they were planned. Yeah, exactly right. And okay. you know, it's, it, it wasn't all on on us on that front. There was you know there's some challenges with regards to uh, resource and, and budgets, but at the same time with any business, we all know this, especially if you're in the startup world, if you're lean and you're focused and you're really clear on your objectives, you can achieve a, a, an expansion strategy uh, very, very clearly and carefully and well uh, if, if you have that focus, if you have the priorities mm -hmm. and you determine what, you know, in that case, how important Europe was to Schuster, arguably was really important, but set on a priority list of 10 as opposed mm. to three. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. And how do you whittle that list down then? What do you do now to, to kind of get that 10 down to a two or a three? Yeah, I think uh, in the professional world, uh, it's it has to come from this, the classic cliches. It's got to come from a really tight global strategy. Uh, it has to come from an, uh, an idea of what a clear go-to-market plan is mm. uh, for the whole business. Mm. Uh, and then tweaking it for regions becomes easier. Uh, your priorities become clearer and more simple. And we've done that a lot in the last 12 months and it has been game-changing. I think we, we, we tossed and turned about what, what we meant to each market and we did our own thing a little bit and we didn't have a, enough of a clear strategy globally. But now we've got that. And we know where we're heading and it is, you know, it's really helping um, drive our focus and making decisions around where we, we you know, hone the team. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that sort of ties nicely into the purpose thing as well, doesn't it? Because it's like Simon Sinek says, the salary test, right? You know, if you've, if you know what your purpose is, you can run everything through it, as you said, and, and it's similar with your, your strategy, isn't it? And so I guess that affects teams, 
very vastly, doesn't it? Because it's it's the the focus, the clarity of message, all of that kind of thing. So getting clear on your messaging, getting clear on your priorities and your purpose sounds like a from your perspective, a, a thing which makes everyone's life easier. Oh, always. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's um especially when you've got, you know, in our case, a, a business that's got broad scope and it's got amazing mm. ability to, to affect many different people in many different mm. cases and many different departments, et cetera, mm. all very well, actually. It's sometimes the case you've got a glut of opportunity becomes mm. harder. Mm. Uh, so, you know, to your point, absolutely. Clarity around that purpose is always going to, to give us more honed priorities, uh, which works very well. Nice. Okay, so let's go back to teams. So what are you, what's something you utilize a lot with your teams uh, to help help them perform, to, to get the most out of them? A tool or a trick or a tip or a whatever? Yeah, I think for me, it's not a tool per se, as in um, you know something digital that I use to, to manage them. It's more uh, a hyper-performing team program that, that we worked on. Um, I think for me, that set the foundations for team synchronicity, but also uh, an environment that allowed them to, to give, you know, honest and clear feedback, uh, constructive feedback, psychological safety, all that wonderful stuff that's really important for people to, to therefore help develop each other, but also uh, all, you know, find, find a clear way to work together well as well. Um, so I think for me that those tools, uh, ways of valuing each other, ways of challenging each other uh, were, were the real foundations of our team. Uh, we've got an incredibly, incredibly tight knit and, and strong team here um, because of those. So that's, that's the key tool that we've used. There's obviously a lot of intricacies involved in that program, which would take me a long time to walk through, but those are the important parts. Well, pick one. What's your favorite? Yeah, what's my favorite? I think um, for me, I guess it's because it's a personal thing as well, and therefore I can help follow through because I, I need to work on it myself a lot, is creating uh, a vulnerable environment, right? So, you know, creating an environment where people are very, very open and clear with, with their strengths and their weaknesses, weaknesses mm -hmm. most more importantly than, than strengths, um, because you don't always need to strengthen your weaknesses, but you do need to recognize them. Um, mm. Sometimes that helps team members understand where to fill gaps if needed, uh, or it helps team members understand or empathize when someone maybe needs, needs more support than you expect they need. Uh, so I think that for me, you know, and how do you create that? You do that in the pre-COVID world, you know, physically and off-sites, you do that by understanding each other's profiles, Mm. Uh, doing work around uh, whether it might be Myers Briggs or whether it might be you know Clifton Strengths Finders, whatever. They're all great tools mm. that just helps you understand each other more intimately. Therefore, helps you have more open and clear pathways of communication. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know that's cliche, but if you can't communicate together as a team, then there's no point being a team. Mm. So you you use those as kind of conversation starters, and then and then open up a conversation. Uh, either virtually or, or in, in a room with the entire team? Yeah, that's right. So we use those as a full a whole team together to start with, to set the tone, set the scene. Mm -hmm. And then we use them little, little intricacies or nuances of them throughout all the different little teams or, or mm -hmm. team units 
um, moving forward, whether it might be check-ins, like we talked about at the start of this session, you know, just to understand how people were arriving at a meeting or arriving. We should probably tell people that, that you're saying check-in, not chicken, right? <laughs> yes, we should say. <laughs> yeah, damn right. I've uh, I was pulled up many times at the start of the process <laughs> with people, even even mentors saying, "What on earth is a chicken, and what, yeah. is a chicken? <laughs> what are you doing?" Um, yeah. So what 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 are you? Um, we did a bit of a check-in at the start of the where you did one. Um, talk us through what that is and how you use that. Yeah, so uh, check-in is, I specifically articulate <laughs> that one, uh, is when at the start of a meeting, or actually we evolved it to be a specific channel based mm -hmm. around how you're arriving at the start of a day or how you're leaving at the end of the day. Uh, mm -hmm. and what that means is not you arrived via bus. Mm -hmm. You can tell us that if you wish. That's fun and interesting sometimes. But um, more importantly, actually, uh, emotionally, psychologically, how are you arriving? Uh, because what it does is it gives the people around you a very clear idea of, of the temperature in the room. Mm -hmm. And if someone's had a very, very tough morning, for example, and they are just not switched on and they won't be able to be that day, you can tell them, you can say, hey, is it best that you have some time off? Mm. Or you, my someone might've had a wonderful day and an incredible achievement, but they may not have shared that um, because they may have been stuck in their homes, working away on their laptop, not interacting with other people that day. And you know, you celebrate that with them uh, in some small or large shape or form, it's up to you, but it's uh, really powerful. It's just another example of how you create more visibility around people uh, and their their emotions, um, especially in these times. Uh, and obviously, over the last two years, it's crucial. Mm, yeah, yeah, bringing kind of allowing them to show up as themselves, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, bringing exactly. personality to the business um, mm. is, is super important, um, and doing it on a daily cadence uh, if you can, uh, because it's very easy to get dislocated it's all mm. cliche stuff it's nothing new but we all know the world we're in and mm. sometimes if there's no office mm. you know, can be if you're in specific roles that don't interact with others for days that's that that can feel like you're dislocated uh, mm. and obviously you know the more you can do to make people feel like they can share their interests or share their perspective or share their emotions super important I've just been like you might have seen me smiling, but I, I was just thinking we probably need subtitles for this, but it's a podcast, so um, <laughs> I don't know how that'll work. Anybody who is not in New Zealand is going to be listening to this going cheer, ah, like sharing a sheep, okay, chicken, okay, good. <laughs> um, anyway, um, mate, uh, look, I, I I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been it is always fantastic to to chat, and I think we could spend many many hours doing it. But um, I want to wrap up on one last question. And what, what's, what's one thing you would say to any other team leader out there, be they, be they a newbie or a pro, that you would take away? What, what do you want them to take away from, from this? Uh, I think for me, the most important thing I'd say to any, any I guess, strong or, or experienced leader or a newbie leader or manager is back to feedback. Be open and honest and always, always look for feedback from your people uh, and from the business above you, people around you or, or people you manage, uh, as well as your clients, as well as your community. Um, it's quite 
you know, quite an open generic thing to say, but I think the more you become comfortable and confident in, in hearing feedback, being constructive or positive up to you, um, you should be garnering that as much as possible. That would be the one most important thing I could say to, to someone in leadership. Nice one. Mate, well, thank you for your time, as always. Uh, I appreciate you putting some, some time aside for us. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to speaking with you soon, yeah? Awesome. Thanks, Anne. We did this a lot. Thanks for awesome. having me. Speak to you soon. Ciao for now. Join us next time when we meet with another brave leader to chat through the things that they have done right and also the things that they have done very wrong in leadership. See you soon. Mm -hmm.